You're listening to This Nazarene Life, stories of young Nazarene clergy and their role models. This episode is sponsored by Mission New York. Mission New York exists to support church planters for the Church of the Nazarene in Manhattan, and you should totally go join them. Check them out at the Mission New York Facebook page for more information. And if you haven't already, check out our conference for young pastors over at youngclergycon.com. Today's interview is with Reverend Andy McGee. Andy is the lead pastor of Trinity Family Midtown and the executive director of Love Wins LGBT. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Britt Bowler Jack, and I'm here with my guest, Andy McGee. Welcome to the show. Are you talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. <laughs> so, the first question I ask everyone is... Right. How did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene? How did I end up in the Church of the Nazarene? Yes. Uh, my grandfather was a Nazarene pastor. Um, so I was basically like born into it. I went to a little bitty tiny church in South Alabama, a little town called Demopolis. Church of like, well, depending on what month and year and day it was, anywhere between 8 and 20. And so um, we were there until I was like 13. Mm -hmm. And then there was a bit of a disagreement that happened amongst the church people. And then we became... Disciples of Christ. Oh, wow. For um, the next, like, five years. And so uh, when I felt like a call to ministry, I knew I wanted to go back to the Nazarene Church. So my parents and me and my family decided that we should navigate back over to the Nazarene Church. So tell me more about that. and Tell me about your call to be a pastor. I don't know that I have specifically had a call to be a pastor, mm. but I think that I have been called to ministry in general. Okay. My calling is to show up and be where God is at work. Mm. Take, for instance, my local community here. It's less about me leading this local community, and it's more about me showing up in the community where God is already at work and joining in on that Mm. journey. So, like, I felt called to ministry when I was in, like, I I, probably, like, the 10th grade of high school. Okay. And so, well, I guess there's no other 10th grade but the 10th grade of high school. But anyway, I remember, like, just feeling a sense of This is what God wants me to do. This is the place that God wants me to go. Mm. If you want to pinpoint a specific moment that I feel like God was calling me into ministry, and it's the most embarrassing story, sort of like when people say they were were saved at a Carmen concert, I felt a specific call while listening to a CD of a band called Jump Five. I don't think you could even call them a band. They were like a little... (laughs) teeny bopper pop Christian little group that maybe had like one song that was ever made it on radio. Mm -hmm. But I had their CD and I played it all the time. (laughs) And I specifically remember driving around in my like 1990 Honda Accords with the sunroof back at night because that's what I used to do at night. Just get in my car and just drive around. And listening to a song called If We Can Change a Heart, We Can Change the World. And it just spoke to me. <laughs> I love it. So where did you go from there? You felt this call? Right. I told my parents about it like a while later and like I just put the wheels into motion. Like What was your parents' reaction? My mom was very happy. My dad, like he always is with everything, said, All right then, okay. You can pretty much tell him any news about anything, no matter how good or bad it is, and his response is going to be, all right, well, okay. 
So I th- that's that's specifically how I got here, but uh, like our, so you you graduate high school, right? And what? I wanted to go to Olivet. Okay. Desperately wanted to go to Olivet. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents, along with a pastor friend of ours, uh, convinced me to go to Trevecca. Um. So I went, loved it. Uh, life-changing place. Mm. Were you a ministry major? Yes. I was a religion major from the start. Well, at Tribeca, everybody has to major in religion, and then my minors were missions and pastoral ministry. Mm. Were you an intern in college? Yes, I did intern in college. Um, did a local internship in a place called Bethel. I always mm. say that place changed my life. Um, and then I also did an internship, like... You were supposed to do two internships, one locally and one, like, the, the it's a bad word to say, abroad, but, like, not in the Nashville area. Okay. Unless you're from the Nashville area. And sure. And so, um, I decided to do my internship in, at my grandparents' church in Millbrook, Alabama. Okay. And that was an unusual experience. Um, a fun experience, but when they said ministry intern, I expected something different than dressing up as a superhero for a VBS. Gotcha. And having blue hair. I remember specifically, I lived with my aunt and uncle that was there, and I dyed their bathtub blue. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's still blue to this day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they've tried, like, everything to clean it, and it's just not... Yeah. I know while you were in college, you went on a couple of youth admission trips, and... and right, so... Tell me kind of the stories. Okay, so, well... While I was in college, I went to... Um, I, well, Youth in Mission came with the fabulous Joel Tooley, and at at this moment in life, I was feeling a strong calling that I was going to be that person who was going to just be the little, just the best little Nazarene and be the stereotypical missionary to Africa. You know, I was looking forward to coming back and saying, this is a feather. It's from a bird in the middle of the wilderness Mm. in Africa, you know. That was going to be my life's work. And I remember Joel coming and talking about, you know, you can go on a mission trip. And me sitting there going, yes, I'd love to do that. And I remember they passed out, like, it was like a list of places you could go or however they did it. And I saw Africa and I checked the first three. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember, like, getting an email, like, like weeks later and being it would be like it was like you are going to Benin West Africa and I had no earthly idea where that was so I had to go grab a map look it up and I was like okay we're going I raised the money I did all the necessary work to get there got to the day that we were going and got on this plane Flew and flew and flew and flew and flew. It's like a forever long trip. And we got there about 11 o'clock at night. The doors of the plane open. You can feel this rush of warm air from outside. And I always, like, I always say, like, that's when I felt like I just knew that I knew that I knew. Uh, In that moment that God was saying, okay, Andy, you have come all this way. And spent all this money to show people that God loves them. And um, I knew right then what he wanted me to do and where he wanted me to go. I just, I just intrinsically just knew it. Mm. Um, that, that he wanted me to reach out to, this, to the LGBT community just with open arms and open hands and in this radically loving way um the very first email i ever sent home was about this like wow do you feel like god had been working on you before that to kind of get you to that place uh yeah i mean not that he had been working like overtime but i think he very much like god had to take me to where I wanted to be to get me to where he wanted me to be. Mm. So I think he knew 
that to get through my tough ADD brain, he was going to have to get me on a plane, take me all the way to Africa to say, okay, now that I have your attention and show you that I can do something, um, let's go back and do this. For years, (laughs) after that event, that was 2005, uh, it took me until 2009 to say yes to that. Wow. Um, simply because I didn't know that I was ready for that and I didn't know that the church was ready for that. Mm. But little did I know that I feel like God was already at work. Like preparing the way. And I know my, I know, I, I firmly do believe in a God that goes before us and is at work before we get there. Mm. And... I do feel like God was sort of preparing the way for this to, this type of ministry to happen and to take place. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what was it that finally got you to say yes to that original call? So the story goes that I was uh, in January of two thousand nine. I was in a class called Theology of Work. Mm. Uh, with Fletcher Tink had nothing to do with this topic at all. Had nothing to do with the LGBT community at all. Even though some really great theological minds would tell me that God never does this, I always say that I was sitting there and I heard God say, okay, Andy, we're either going to do this or we're going to part ways. And so I said, well, uh, we better do this. Um, there's, I'm ADD, but I always have felt like when God speaks to me, it's very specific. Mm. I've never been one to go like, I'm not sure if I am called to this or not. I've always been very certain of the call. Mm. And so the very next, um, Tuesday was our weekly, uh, staff meeting, church staff meeting, at what was Trinity Family in Gardner, Kansas. Okay. And I approached my senior pastor at the time and I said, I feel like this is the place I need to go and I need to do. And, you know, do I have the church's support to do this? Do I have the, uh, do I have your backing? And uh, he was, <laughs> I think, taken aback a little. But he said, it's a yes from me, but I need to check with my higher ups and obviously and that September we uh, I stood in front of a congregation and said, this is the way I feel like God is calling us to go. And how did you explain the way? How did you when you say this is the way? How did you explain that? So um, he uh, Donnie Miller, the senior pastor at the time was doing a sermon series based off the books of Dr. Seuss. Okay. And the final book in the series was Oh, the Places You Will Go. Oof. <laughs> and he got up and he preached and he, uh, I still have this on audio. He preached, he talked, and he said, uh, now, one of the places that I think we need to go, which this was, a, our church was already controversial at that point. Because we had a ministry called Love Wins Gentlemen's Clubs. Mm. And so a group of women from our church were going out to the local strip bars on Friday nights and uh, spending time with the dancers. Wow. And ministering to them and um, just building relationships. And so we thought the logical name for this ministry would be Love Wins LGBT. Mm. And so... um, he spoke, I got up after, and I said, you know, this is the place that I feel like God is calling us to. Mm. Now, <laughs> over the next few months, we lost about 70% of that congregation. Wow. <laughs> and while none of them directly said this was the reason they were leaving the church, it was, the unspoken was, this was the reason they were leaving the church. Mm. So we were a part of the service. I gathered together um, a group of people in the church who said, you know, this is something we want to do. Uh, Unknown to the congregation at that time, we had already started living life in our community. So me and that initial team of people were already out in the community 
working towards this goal of seeing what we could do. Got it. Um, of seeing where we could join God in his work. And um, When you say the community, is that a certain part of town or a certain group of people? So this particular, not like almost a month before I introduced this to the congregation, we went to a place called Castro Movie Nights. Okay. I don't know if they still have those anymore, but um, it was an AIDS uh, service foundation uh, fundraiser. Mm-hmm. And so you... Like, they double the price of the ticket to whatever movie is playing. I think it was The Time Traveler's Wife. Oh. I think so. Okay. But, um, you know, just trying to do what they can to raise money for research. And mm. So, August is when we went to Castro Movie Nights. Sort of didn't do anything else after Castro Movie Nights. We introduced it to the congregation in September. Already had approval from everybody. And then that October, I decided to volunteer with a local LGBT domestic violence uh, prevention center. They had a, my apartment at the time, which is on the opposite block as our church is right now, faced our local gay bar called Out of Bounds. They had this particular organization had a um, karaoke night. Now, I'm not going to sing in front of people. No, 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 no. <laughs> but Sarah, that's her cup of tea. She loves that. That is. So she went with us that night, and um, we went in and just sang karaoke, had a great, amazing time, and we always say we let God take it from there. Mm. We just let God do what God does. If you're looking for a, like a specific way, how did we do this? It, it It's really just, we just kept showing up. Mm-hmm. And so that was on a, it was on a Tuesday night. And we just kept going every Tuesday night. Every single Tuesday night. That's where we were. Mm. We were out of bounds for karaoke, mm-hmm. hanging out with people, building relationships. Uh, after a while of being there, Latia and I, Latia Frazier, who's on staff now at the church, we were in an Andy Johnson, I believe it was First Thessalonians or Second Thessalonians class. And at this moment in the journey, the church in Gardner was sort of thinking about transitioning. And so, um, what do you mean transitioning? So at that point, we really got to a point where, um, it seemed like the work in Gardner was ending. Mm. And so the question was, what do we do with the resources of this church? Um, and so at around about the same time, Mm -hmm. uh, probably, probably about six months before these conversations started happening at the church, Okay, we had this assignment from this class, Second Thessalonians, to do a Bible study at our local church and have people give feedback. And the problem was Trinity Family and Gardner was not set up for a local Bible study where people could come. It just wasn't. So we got to doing some dreaming. Not just dreaming, but sort of a little scheming too in there. And sure. we said, what if we took these Bible studies that we're supposed to do and we did them at my apartment on two separate nights and invited the people that we now know and have built relationships with and are friends to this day and just invited them in to this Bible study to give us feedback. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did. And we asked what would be the best night for that. And basically it was, it came down to Thursday. Now, if you know, if almost everybody in America is free on a Thursday night, Okay. There's a reason for that. In the 1980s, 90s, Nickelodeon did like family, I think it was called like around the table or something, at the family table or something. And they encouraged people to take their Thursday nights as like family game night or to eat together. And so it naturally started happening in America that people would free up their Thursday nights to do this. Hmm. And so now most communities 
Thursday nights are free. And so um, we asked what night. They said Thursday. We said, okay, for the next two Thursdays, we need you at our apartment. So they came. They did a listen to the Bible study, gave us feedback. It went great. And like we'd done so many times before, we said, okay, God, you do what you do. Mm-hmm. And we'll just follow along. And he did. About six weeks later, a lady that we had known from the community that we had gotten to know really well came up to one of our pastors at the time and she said, you know that Bible study thing that we did? And we were like, yeah. She said, you know, I've been talking and we all we want to do it on a regular basis. So that's how we began meeting together on Thursday nights. So mm-hmm. our church does not have a Sunday morning service. Okay. Our church meets on Thursday nights and Sunday nights. Sunday nights for an in-depth Bible study, sort of a bring-your-own-brain type Bible study. And Thursday nights for what looks more and more like, less like a church service and more like an intentional coming together of a community to say, how do we live out this community Mm. in a new way? And so it looks like it looks more of something like you would find in an intentional community type situation mm-hmm. instead of a church. Mm. Our method of delivery on Thursday nights has changed more times than there are pages in a book. Like it, it seems as though like every six months we have a new model for how we do Thursday night. The current model has stuck around for a little while now. We'll see in six months if we're still doing this, but. It's really listening to your community and saying, what do they want? Mm. So tell me about that hour and a half. What, what is it like? What, what would I experience if I showed okay, up? Okay, so if you were to show up on a normal Thursday night. Okay. We began at 7.30 with a meal. So we've always done that. We've always done a meal. Mm-hmm. A, like, if I'm going to ask you to show up somewhere at a 7.30 on a Thursday night... I'm going to feed you. I mean, one look at me tells you I like to eat. If you show up, we're going to feed you. So we always start with a meal. Everybody just hangs out, you know, catches up on your week, how you're doing, you know. And then um, around 8 o'clock, we sort of gather everybody in. And we start with our announcements. Just get that out of the way. And we always start by the lighting of the Christ candle. Mm. Um to bring us together and to remind us that God is here with us. For a lot of people in our community, the question is, where is God? And so we start by saying, God is here Mm. with us. And from there, we transition and we, we look... Most people who hear about our church, hear about our attached ministry, hear about our congregation think that they are going to walk into Nightclub Church of the Nazarene with glitter cannons. And what everybody says when they come here and they are a part of this community is, I am shocked at how Nazarene it looks. What do you mean by that? So, just the fact of when we sing around here, we pick up an old school Blue hymnal. Now, some of y'all are like, what is a blue hymnal? It is the one before Sing to the Lord. Gotcha. It's like worship and song hymnal. Okay? We pull out the old worship and song hymnals and we sing from them. Mm. So, um, we have a piano player that shows up once a month. Otherwise, it's on CD. When you're a little church, that's what you do. But... When we originally started this church, we started it as a Thursday night Bible study, like we started. And people began to come to us and go, we want these. A lot of people that come here have a Catholic background and upbringing. Oh. And so they've asked for a piece of the liturgy to be put into our service. Mm. So as we move along, you know, I said we started with announcements. We've lit the Christ candle We've sort of centered everybody in to let's now open the word and go through it. And so the passage of the week will be read. And then we have transitioned from a model where we spoke most of the time. Mm-hmm. So like, and um, we every week a different pastor preaches. So we have three on-site pastors and one off-site pastor. 
And so the three on-site pastors, we swap the responsibility of preaching every week. Wow. We then go into our, we, we used to do like a full 30-minute sermon and pray and go home. And we began to hear feedback from our congregation of saying, that's great, but we want to discuss this. We want to talk about it. If you know the people in this congregation, they love to talk about it. Whatever it is, they love to talk about it, okay? It's sort of like a Thursday night church service of The View. If The View did a church service on a Thursday night, that's sort of what it transitions into. So what we do is we speak for 10 minutes tops. We talk about the the passage. We talk about maybe a lesson or two we gain from it. And then we have discussion questions. And we divide up into either groups or if the, you know, depending on the week, we either have two, three groups that we divide up in or sometimes we'll listen to our congregation and they'll say can we just talk about this passage all together because we think it'd be beneficial so we go yeah let's do that and it turns into like a thursday night hot topics table on the view that's what it turns into i love it you know we have people of all different personalities and all different backgrounds from the crazy of the crazy to the the most you know upstanding citizen of society Mm -hmm. and everybody brings their ideas to the table and goes well this is what i think this is what i think this is what i think that's i mean that is our typical thursday night we finish that we pray about the needs of our community and we go home most of the time we have enough food left over where everybody gets to take home or a lot of people get to take home a meal that'll take them through tomorrow you know so that's what we do it's just sort of this community-based congregation. So that's your Thursday night church service. Um, What does the rest of the work of your church and Love Wins actually look like? Okay, so the rest of the week at our church is just, uh, we have a community clothing closet. We have a line of people coming through here every single day looking for clothing. When we got into this community, we said, what is the service that is not being provided? to people in need in this community. Mm. Um, There's food services. There's help with your gas bill. There's help with anything you could possibly want to get help with except for clothing. Hmm. If you have no money, going to the Salvation Army and buying even a 50-cent shirt is not a luxury afforded to you. Sure. So um, for a number of years now, we've partnered with the GMC, uh, the Global Ministry Center. Every year in November, we do a big clothing drive with them. The first weekend in December, we have a free clothing giveaway. So we literally clear out our church space and fill it with tables upon tables upon tables of clothes. Mm. People, Whoever needs it, we get the word out in the community. Whoever needs it, they come in, get clothes. And so, but throughout the year, clothing still comes in on a regular basis, you know, from the community People who donate come, you know, we'll have people come by and go, hey, I know you do a clothing closet, I just want to donate. And so we have a pretty steady stream of people coming for the clothing closet every day. Mm. So that's the basis of what we do during the week here. Mm. So uh, my office manager, Sharice, she takes care of all of that. But as far as Love Wins is concerned, um, a majority of the year, we are out on the road speaking to local congregations and churches and districts about what does it mean to be welcoming to the LGBT community. Mm. So Love Wins is a ministry of advocacy or explanation or shepherding other churches. When we started Love Wins, Love Wins was a, hey church, we've got to understand that it's time to start figuring out what we're going to do with people who consider themselves LGBT. The current policies we have in place, the current language that we use, is not working. Mm. At the end of the day, people feel rejected. Do we really want to put out the image that the church and Christ Himself, who the church represents, is rejecting them? The answer for us was no. And so, what we have spent years now doing is going out and going well what does it look like without changing our polity 
what does it look like to welcome in a community into our midst? Mm-hmm. We've done it with numerous communities before. What does it now look like to do to welcome in this community? In the years since that first couple of years, we have transitioned. What we noticed was we would go out, say, a weekend, okay? We would speak on Saturday. We would speak on Sunday. And then most of the times before we came to speak at a church or a district or uh, some very naive pastors would say, we have no one in our congregation who identifies as LGBT. And we would always sort of chuckle on the inside because we would go, yes, you do. You just don't know. And what we would have, what would happen is we would get that Monday morning phone call. It would come every Monday morning. Every time we went out and spoke to this day, we still get that Monday morning phone call of, well, let's just take Grandma Elizabeth. Grandma Elizabeth went home and she was talking to her grandson who was over for dinner. And he used that opportunity of, well, since she brought up the conversation, I'm going to go ahead and tell you I'm a member of the LGBT community too. And so now what we have transitioned into is we are now helping churches go, all right, we have had person A and person B and person C that we know, that we love, who has been a member of our family, a member of our congregation, a member of our community for years now. And they are coming out. And they are saying, this is who I am. And it's not just the person down the street or across the yard from us. It is people that we've known, the choir director, the our associate pastors are, are coming out and saying, this is who I am. And so now we're teaching a church, how do we respond to people that we know? Mm. Because I think when this comes home, people respond differently to people that they know than people that are that are a a concept you know when it's suddenly your cousin and it's not a concept anymore you think differently about how to react so that's what most of the work does and then we have Gloria Coffin who um, is not on site with us but she is in Portland Maine and she does a lot of our I mean we we have the pastors here are busy working with our local community and building relationships in our local community and doing the work of being pastors. And so what she has stepped up to the plate and done for us is she has the ability to travel for us to um, table at events, but she does a lot of our pastoral care. So people who call us and get in touch with us and just need, who are not local. So people who are not local, who are outside the Kansas City area, who just need that little bit of extra love and care and time. And, you know, that is where she comes in. The This ministry, as we go along in the years, when we started, nobody was having the conversation. Mm. Or if they were, they were afraid to say they were having the conversation. Sure. If nothing else, I think we've given people... We have been the ones that have been willing to go in first and take the attacks and the backstabbing and the angry protesters so that the people behind us don't have to. Mm. And so if, it, if there's one thing I think that Love Wins has accomplished, it's that we have started the conversation. I don't know where the church will be at in five, ten years on this conversation. Mm. But I hope that one of the things we did was we started the wheels turning to have the conversation, mm. to make it okay to have the conversation. The problem is, is we still have places in our church that don't want to have the conversation. We want to have a conversation about every other thing. But as soon as the the letters L, G, B, and T come up, people get silent. Mm. People get silent. That it, the, the problem is the silence of the church is deafening to the LGBT community. Mm. And we sit there and we wonder, I'm getting on my soapbox for a minute, so 
we sit there and we wonder why is it that we are losing young kids that have been in the church their whole life why is it that they are walking away from the church because their reality and our theology are not mixing together yeah they are looking at people who and i know i'm going to get in some muddy water here but that's okay they are looking at people and they are saying i see the fruits of the spirit in people's lives who you are telling me have no ability to have a relationship with Christ at any level. That's not mixing with what I'm experiencing, not hearing, but that's not mixing with what I'm experiencing. And so I need you, church, to explain to me where to go. How do I love my neighbor? How do I love my neighbor but stick to my polity and what I what I like what I believe at the end of the day? Why is it that when I bring my friend to church, he, he's no longer welcome or she's no longer welcome. Or it's okay for her to sit in my pew, but not to do anything. Mm. I know that when people hear that, or I know that when people hear what we say, they think that we are softening our stance on sin. And what I say is we are softening our stance on judgment. We are looking at a church and we are saying... We have to stop judging. We have to stop looking at people and going, because your life disagrees with my theology, then I am going to call you unchristian and I'm going to put you down. Mm. And we are destroying people's lives who are honestly sitting and seeking after Christ. Mm. And it's not about me calling out sin are not calling out sin because anybody in my congregation will tell you I am the first one that will call somebody to the carpet over some shady stuff. I am the first one that will call you on the carpet. And I know if anybody in my congregation is hearing this right now, they are saying amen. Okay? It's not about softening our views on sin, but it is about saying I absolutely, 100%, with the full authority of the gospel have taken a stance of I refuse to judge your relationship with Christ. Mm. And if anybody wants to tell me that is wrong, they're going to have to tell me how that is wrong in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think that's the thing that makes people the most upset about love wins is we refuse to give them a way to go back and tell their loved one, you're going to hell. Because no matter what I believe at the end of the day, and I am very conservative in my beliefs on this issue, anybody that knows me will tell you, I will fight for my conservative beliefs, not my conservative politics, I'm not conservative politically, but my conservative beliefs when it comes to this issue, I can build you the case like no other. But what I refuse to do is look at somebody who comes down on the opposite side of the spectrum than I do and say, you're wrong. You're going to hell. Mm. I am an authority figure to a lot of people. I'm a pastor. People take my opinion to heart, especially my local congregation. If I look at someone and say, I know that you are earnestly seeking after God, but you are going to hell. I am going to completely shut that person down, not only spiritually, but emotionally, and they are going to feel rejected by the church. Mm. And remember, the church represents Christ to the world. They're going to ultimately feel like, well, then I don't need to be here anymore because Christ no longer loves me. Mm. What we've forgotten as a church is, and I say it every time I speak, and it's a great way to sort of sum up what I'm saying here when it comes to what we believe as, as love wins. And it's that it is God's job alone to judge. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, and he still convicts. I know a lot of people are going to say he said he, so we'll just say the Spirit still convicts. Okay, it's my job to love. Mm. 
mm-hmm. and not just love or just you know not hippie nineteen sixties love and in a f- field running around with wildflowers type of love, but it is my job to get in the trenches with people where they are and love them through whatever crap life has given to them. Mm. And show them where God is. And when they start a relationship with Christ, I firmly 100% believe, once again, based on the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit will speak to them and do exactly what the Holy Spirit does. Mm. Because in my mess, that's what the Holy Spirit did. Mm. The Holy Spirit showed up and spoke and said, now you know you're not supposed to be doing this. I didn't need Miss Mary on the back pew of the church waving her hanky and telling me I was going to hell. I didn't need her to tell me that. The Holy Spirit and conviction did a great job of that. My job is to sit here and love to death a community. That's my job. What it reminds me of, and I know Matt is going to like this, Matt Price. What it reminds me of is ministry in Africa. Because Lord knows I spent two years trying to learn French, failed at it. I mean, I passed the class, but I am a horrible French speaker. And even when I do speak French, it's got this weird Southern twang to it. (laughs) I didn't know all the language. But I knew how to show up and love people. Mm. And... You were there with me, Brittany. What did they consistently say? Because you showed up today and loved people, there are now people who are going to be ushered into the kingdom of heaven. And all you did was show up and love them. We are doing Nazarene Missions 101 right here in the heart of Midtown. So that's what we do. And I know, I I can already hear people listening to this. Some of them are going to say, Oh my word, he has completely watered down the gospel. He has completely changed everything about the church. And people are going to die and go to hell. No, they're not. Because if people are honestly following after Christ, Christ is going to do with them what he did with you sitting right there in your chair listening to this. He's going to come in and he's going to shake things up. That's what he does. I had a meeting last night where I was talking with a couple of leaders of this ministry and and we were talking about they always call me the eternal optimist when it comes to the church because I I have always said if it if I ever leave the church of the Nazarene I will be the last one out the door and I am going to leave the light on in anticipation that I'm going to come back one day mm. or that at least somebody is because If there's one thing I know that this church has going for it, is there is the ability there to love. There's the ability there to look at places in the world and say, where other people have said, God is not there. Our theology says, God has not left anywhere. He is at work before we get there. Mm -hmm. God goes before, that prevenient grace. You know, when I first showed up to my local gay bar, I thought of it as a God-forsaken place. You know, God can show up everywhere but the local gay bar. Let's just say that. And what happened was, is we went in, and it floored me that God was already there. Let me tell you a story. Okay. And I want to get this story out as far and as wide as I can, because it's one of the best stories we got. So we showed up to um, this first night that I was telling you, for this fundraiser for at the karaoke event, right? At Out of Bounds. And um, by the way, Out of Bounds is no longer there anymore. And we almost thought about renting that space out and changing the name to Out of Bounds Church of the Nazarene. So, but we didn't. We went in that first night and there was a lady singing. And she was, it was a rough song. The song is called Down With The Sickness. Do not go look it up. Do not go look it up. Do not go look it up. Because it is... Just don't. Just take my advice. It's a bad song. And so she's singing this song. And it is just like this roar from the stage. And I'm not talking about the roar of audience. I'm talking about the roar of like heavy metal roar. 
she comes off stage and my beautiful wife looks and goes, well, that was just great. That was just great. Yeah, because that's Sarah. The entire, she's going to say, if you get up there and you were horrible, she's going to say, that was a beautiful song. Tell me about it. That's how she starts conversations. And so she got to talking with this person who called herself Darkness. That's all she did. She came week after week after week and she talked. She didn't come in with a trap and say, have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? You know, have, has God changed? She didn't do that. Okay? She didn't come in with 15 points about how you can know Jesus as your personal Savior. She came in every week and she listened to some horrible music that this woman was singing every week. And when she came off stage, she just gave her a big hug and said, Oh, we just love listening to you, you know? And pretty soon she dragged us along and she said, Hey, you should get to know darkness, okay? So we got to know darkness. And so, anyway, darkness came to one of those, to both of those Bible studies that we did. And um, pretty soon we found ourselves at, you know, what had now become a weekly tradition of karaoke nights at our local gay bar. And darkness talked to one of our. Um, pastors on staff at the time, and she said, hey, can we go outside and talk? And so she thought she wanted her to hang out with her while Darkness went on a smoke break. So she's like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, let's go hang out. You need a cigarette, whatever. And when Darkness walked out the front door, she turned. If you Now, if you were going to smoke in those days at, at this bar, you turned to the left. And so Darkness turns to the right and just heads towards the parking lot. And so our pastor at the time goes, oh, hold up, hold up, hold up. And without us ever saying, you're going to die and go to hell. Without us ever saying, you need to get your life right with Christ. Without us ever saying, have you done 16 points to know Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior? She said, I want to know more about this God that you speak of. And I want to get my life right with him and I think I need to do that now and right there in the parking lot of the gay bar by my house darkness gave her life to Christ and it's made all the difference Mm. and we have story after story after story of just that see what we try to do in the church is we try to manage God we try to put him in a box We try to deliver him in a nice package. But I like to say, anytime you try to put God in a box, he's going to become an angry toddler and he is going to destroy that box. His love is already at work in the world. He is already speaking to people. He's just calling the church to come along and join the journey. Mm. I know you've already touched on this a little bit. But the last question I ask everybody is, what inspires you to stay in the Church of the Nazarene? What What is it that's keeping you here? The reason I stay with the Church of the Nazarene is because, and I have said many times, that I will be the last person to walk out the door and turn off the light with the Church of the Nazarene because I know I've seen the church on its good days. And I know what it's capable of. I know at its heart it cares. It may get scared to death at times. But at the end of the day, it cares. I love this church. It is the church that loved me into the kingdom of God. Mm. And I know that it's capable of that. And I know every week this church is filled with people who this is the answer they have found. Mm. And I know if the Church of the Nazarene can do it here, they can do it anywhere else. Mm. I mean, thousands of people have been able to find Christ at the Church of the Nazarene. Before we say the church is dying, before we say the church is dead, before we say it's time to move on, we better be looking at a church and going, but, you know, the disciples looked at the dead body of Jesus and said, it's over. But God stepped in and said, 
Oh, uh, wait, wait a minute. I think God is in the wait a minute stage with the Church of the Nazarene right now. Mm. I think that's where he's at. I really do. I really think that that's where God is at right now. I think we're in the wait a minute stage. Because we have one generation saying how they remember the glory days of the church. We have another generation absolutely scared to death at everything they ever thought about and everything they ever hoped the church of the Nazareth would be, it's not coming to fruition the way they thought it would be. And we have a whole group of people going, okay, all this is is a bunch of old people who don't want to do anything. Mm. But then we have a group, it tends to be this millennial generation, that is looking at a church and going, you know, sounds like that Gunger song. He makes beautiful things. I like to use, and I know people are going to get upset for me using this reference, but I don't care, okay? Because I use this reference all the time. There's a lady that used to be on Oprah. Now, if you know me, I love me some Oprah. No, I don't agree with everything Oprah believes, but I don't agree with everything everybody else believes either. So, you know, I'm not going to defend my love of Oprah. She has a sort of a wisdom coach called Ian Levanzant. And Ian Levanzant wrote a book called Peace from Broken Pieces. Mm. And if the church is dead... If it's in pieces right now, I firmly believe the gospel tells me he's at work in it in creation. So why wouldn't he be at work in it in the Church of the Nazarene, bringing peace from broken pieces? If someone wanted to get in touch with you, invite you to speak somewhere, learn uh-huh. about more that Trinity is doing or Love Wins is doing, how can they, how can they reach you? So the best way to get a hold of me is to go to lovewinslgbt.com. Now, when you type that in, you're going to think that you're going to see rainbows and streamers, but it's going to take you to the homepage of our church because to know Trinity Family is to know Love Wins. To know Love Wins is to know Trinity Family. Mm. We are connected. There will never be a Love Wins without a Trinity Family, and there will never be a Trinity Family without a Love Wins. And so that's the best way to get a hold of me or to go to trinityfamilyonline.com. Or you can call us. Our phone rings all day, every day, with people looking for answers. So it, I feel like I'm asking you to call the prayer line at TBN, but I'm not, I promise. It's the church line. Our local church line, you will talk to the fabulous Sharice, is 913-938-6770. Call there. They will hook you up with any information you need to know. And don't be afraid to talk to somebody on the phone. I promise you, if you're one of those introverts that doesn't want to use the phone or ADD like me and I hate using the phone, if you're nervous, Sharice will laugh you through the nervousness and you can ask us whatever question you need to ask. Well, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on the show. Hope you learned something.